Welcome to this episode of The Work, a podcast where we ask our guests some tough questions about what work means in 2022 and beyond. My co-host is John Sumser. My name is Gina Kelly, and our guest today is the CEO of Namely, Larry Donovan. Larry, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Larry, do us a favor and introduce yourself to our listeners. You have a most unusual career, especially in the HR tech area, um, and perhaps have seen a lot of things that uh, some of our listeners have not seen. Yeah. Well, I, I jokingly say it's the only, HR technology is the only thing I can claim that I'm an expert on in life. Um, and that's primarily due to 35 years in the industry. I fell into it by pure chance in the in the mid 80s. And it just kind of stuck. I always laugh about, you know, how, how did you become so interested in payroll and HR software? And the answer is I have no idea. Um, but I spent, you know, much of the middle part of my career in product management and product development. Uh, and then when I, you know, right around 2010, I decided that, you know, maybe I wanted to try on this CEO hat at some point. And I knew certainly that to do that, either I was going to have to let a sales organization, you know, the head of product management never gets the CEO job uh, unless you start your own company, which I wasn't inspired to do. So um, I took an opportunity at Ceridian where I um, did some restructuring work for a couple of years and then had the great fortune to lead the go-to-market team for Dayforce through the IPO. Uh, and then after that, I, it was time uh, to go after the CEO gig, which I did briefly as an interim CEO at a company called ThinkHR, now Mineral, which is a compliance company doing really interesting work, uh, whose board I still chair. And in uh, July of 19, I was recruited by the Namely board to join as CEO. Well, you know, you've just totally crushed my hope that in high school you had set your sights on being in HR technology as a career path. But um, but I totally understand. You've done some interesting things at Namely. I mean, I keep, uh, of course, seeing that you're winning lots of awards uh, for a lot of good stuff. Uh, tell us what you are most proud of at Namely, what, what you've created as part of the culture there. Yeah, I mean, you know, Namely is a very interesting company. You know, in the 2016, 17, 18 timeframe, it was a super high-flying startup. Um, growing like crazy, you know, doing all the things that high growth startups do um, through a variety of things that happened to the business, you know, that that some of that stuff got a bit stalled. And, um, you know, the work that my job, my primary job there was to introduce a culture of domain expertise into the business that, you know, arguably wasn't the focus. It was a very entrepreneurial business and that there, there's lots of great things about the brand and the kind of business that got created. Um, but really, my job was to transform the culture really to get inside the head of our, our customers, understand what they need, and then and then drive those solutions in a fashion um, that makes sense. I always, I always talk about how everything I do goes through a filter, which is, you know, what's great for employees and customers. I don't put them in order. I pretty much talk about them together. And if, if, if those things are right, then either I can convince or very naturally our shareholders will be satisfied. Well, that actually leads me to a question. Who's more important, the customer or the investor? Well, I think that if you take care of the customer, the investor will be satisfied. You know, you, you can't you can't really do it in reverse. And I think that's what happens with a lot of startups. You know, for example, being blindly focused on growth. Trust me, in this market, investors love it, even if you're burning a lot of cash. But but the minute that that growth stalls in any way, shape or form, you know, and, and the foundation isn't there, 
all of a sudden the investors have a really big problem. And if you've done a great job of building that foundation that supports and delights customers, your investors ultimately will always be happy. Um, it may not be on necessarily the perfect trajectory that, you know, the what one in 500 companies that we all talk about every day experiences. But there you go. There's there's a lot of value in being the the meat and potatoes vendor, right? <laughs> you don't always have to be the, uh, you know, the, the cool side dish. Um, John, looks like you have a question for Larry. I'm curious uh, to see what your thoughts are on this uh, wacky world of HR tech. Well, you know, I'm I'm curious for a little bit more information about Namely itself. Like, who's the customer, and um, um, what's your reach? I'm I'm totally out of touch with Namely. There was the initial burst. Um, I I went into a hotel room some years ago, and every channel that I turned to had a Namely commercial on it because they'd figured out how to hack me. Yeah. Um, um, and I was impressed, uh, but then nothing. And so, so where are you and what are you doing? Sure. And by the way, you know, this business did a brilliant job building a brand and we benefit from it every day. And that's, that's the period you experience. I jokingly, when guests come to see us in New York, we're in the subway. I say, Hey, all those, bo- all those boards along the subway walls, every one of them in 2017 said namely on it. Um, right. and, uh, and so, but it's a great question because, you know, one of the things that the business did in its high growth state is tried to be all things to all people. Uh, and certainly when you're, when you're trying to do a, the transformation we're doing, you know, I, I, I went back to my, my skill and experience as a product manager, which, which at its core, the best product managers on the planet know how to do something new and interesting with what they already have without writing a line of code. You know, usually it's like, oh, build this module and a year and a million dollars or two million or three million later, it's still not done. You know, so when I came to Namely, the first thing I did was, what can we do with what we have? And the answer to that question was to specialize the company in a sub-segment of the mid-market, which I would love to give a name to. We've named our customer Mojo, which is this hybrid, non-binary person that looks at the various personas that we serve. But at the end of the day, in its simplest, it's companies between 50 and 500 employees um, that um, are generally serving um, primarily knowledge worker-based industries um, that have have a real focus on driving um, great employee experience and 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 advancing the culture. So you've done all of this evolution, thirty-five years, and you have been in a lot of places from sort of big iron to um, little scrappy. Um, how do you zero in on this particular marketplace? I mean, it's you know you know while you've got all of this HCM background, the markets are really different based on size. The behavior of the customers different based on size. And so, how do you make the adjustment when you move? Unequivocally, and that was an interesting. You know, when I when I was thinking about taking the job, of course, I'd spent my whole career in enterprise at Lawson right. and Infor, then at Ceridian. Ceridian went down market some, but fundamentally you know, 1,500 employees and above. And so I, I, I honestly wondered, like, is this going to engage me? And the reality is it, it has very easily because there's a very set of unique requirements. On average, our, our target customer has fewer than three people in HR and payroll total. Um, and here's what's so special about what that customer needs. The only time they understand is just in time. 
meaning that if they need to change the software, they better you better not expect them to know how to do it because there's nobody around there that spends any time learning how to configure it. And when you need to tweak it, it better be easy enough, which means the following. When you build it, you can only go as far as you can go to get the perfect balance between ease of configuration and depth of functionality. It's one of the reasons why the enterprise products, when they've tried to go down market, have unequivocally failed because you can't hide the complexity. And the same problem happens with customers at very low end products like Intuit or Gusto. They can't go up market because they can't introduce the complexity. And so what we've tried to do is find that perfect balance between the two to serve that customer well. Larry, I'm curious, though, uh, you know, given the market segment that you're serving, um, are there some of those customers that are on PEOs? I mean, like, is that a model that, you know, when you only have, let's say, three people in HR or maybe even no people in HR, maybe you have an office manager who's wearing multiple hats. Um, talk a little bit about why Namely versus a PEO. Sure. Well, it's, it's there's actually a different spin on that, which is basically companies graduate usually twice during their growth. So you start a business and you'll go one of two ways. You'll do it yourself with a low-end product like Gusto, Intuit, Paychex, ADP, um, or, you'll, or you'll go with a PEO. And, and some will start with a PEO and then transition to one of those products, but generally not. So, so one of those lower-end products or a PEO will get you to 75 or so employees relatively easily. Um, but what happens then is it's too expensive yeah. or it's not functionally rich enough or the experience isn't good enough. In the case of PEOs, organizations realize they don't want their employees to have a relationship with a third party anymore. Um, so what we've done is we have a program called a PEO graduation program that basically brings them onto the Namely platform, gives them the power and control to do all the most important employee facing stuff, performance management, onboarding, talent acquisition, but benefits, um, brokerage services, payroll, we do all for them. Um, so it's the perfect transition because you get a lot of the cost savings um, without having to carry all of the load when you know there might only be two people at that point or even less in HR. Now, it's also worth noting that there's an equivalent graduation on the other end. We're also not naive enough to think that a customer can come to Namely and stay for life. You know, there's going to be an inflection point and we and we I've had more than one conversation with a customer. I'm like, you know, you, you should go or in a couple of cases, you should have already gone. You know, your business shifted in such a fashion that you also need to graduate out of these mid-market products and go to an enterprise solution. So, so is the is the path to a workday or an oracle? I mean, like, like where yeah. do you see a handoff? Okay. Either, either you know, I, I put it in two categories, like Alt UKG and Ceridian, mm -hmm. if it's primarily U.S. or North America. And if you're gone really global, then many will jump straight to Workday or Oracle or SAP if, you know, if you were to do an ERP purchase. Mm -hmm. we, we almost never compete with the likes of Workday. Every, whenever I see one, I'm like, there's something wrong here. There's, it doesn't make any sense. But certainly I have said to customers you know, who are maybe struggling a little with our global functionality. And they're like, I'm going to go to work there. I'm like, go for it. It's going to cost you about six times what yeah, you're paying. Exactly. And if you see the value, do it. I get it. Um, and that, you know, usually half of those customers don't leave because they don't want to spend the money. I'm so curious. I wanna... Yeah. Go I, I was just going to ask one quick question about servicing. 
the mid-market customer. Because again, whenever it's a situation, I just know, you know, in our own little business, whenever you t- you mentioned just in time, and that that is pretty much the way you run a small business or a mid-sized business, um, how do you service these customers? Like, like they're probably reaching out to you in panic mode. W- what does that look like? Yeah, that was a really interesting part of um, the transformation we did because the reality is when you're growing hyper growth like that, you don't stay focused on it. And, and we didn't fully understand what those customers need. And, and one of the things that was so interesting culturally that I had to shift is, to, for example, to help, to help a, 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 our, our employees understand that what happens when an employee goes to the pediatrician with their child and they refuse them service because the medical card doesn't work. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, that how vital that's just as important as the paycheck being right. Or if, if one of those end users is in the middle of their performance appraisal process and there's an issue, it's just as important as if they can't get payroll out the door. And it's even more so because people's lives are really negatively affected personally when that happens. The business owner or the CEO is, you know, screaming at them. The employees are screaming at them. And they're all there by themselves. And so one of the things that we embraced into the culture is to develop that sense of empathy. We added it to our values Mm -hmm. uh, because it's so important to understand that even though you might intuitively not think, oh, you know, I'm in the middle of a performance appraisal process. This can wait till Thursday. No, it can't because this person is on the hook to make something happen. And it it could end their career there. In the worst case scenario. It's very personal. And John, I apologize. I know you had a question. Let's take it back to you. I was going to move to um, employee activism. I'm I'm very interested in in how you're thinking about that and what you're doing there and what you're doing inside of Namely. What's the story? Because you really have changed culture. Don't you you feel that's that's been the case, Larry? Um, Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think that, honestly, it's, it, it, for, at first and, and most importantly, it's been a really um, interesting and frankly, really challenging personal journey. Um, you know, I, when I got there, you know, I moved to New York, you know, six months in when you're dealing with this transformation, you know, this pandemic hits after George Floyd was murdered, who, by the way, um, you know, the incident occurred less than a mile from my daughter's house. So it was super personal in, in, our, in our family. But more importantly, you know, as an, as an executive, you know, you, you had to figure out what to do. And so not only did I have to figure out what to do, but I also had to figure out where my own head was. Mm-hmm. You know, I am a 61-year-old white male of privilege. You know, I jokingly will say, you know, I'm a gay white man, but big deal, you know. Um, and and I was raised with my racist parents. Um, and so, you know, so I had all this, all these personal dynamics that first I had to get straight before I felt like I could lead. So, you know, my kids were hugely um, influential in that as it was happening. And, um, you know, we, 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 I had to figure that out in my own head first before I could then make a series of choices. And, you know, part of that was like, first and foremost, immediately getting out there with a statement um, about who we are and how we were going to handle that. How how do you do that work though on yourself? I'm I'm just curious, and I know that's more of a personal question than yeah. a professional question. But how how do you do that work? I, I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of talking to people. Um, 
you know, my kids were really influential in it. Um, and, and they were a great source of both support and inspiration in terms of how to figure it out. And then, of course, in the work environment, you know, we engaged a group of people. You know, we have pretty strong employee resource groups already had them in place. And so we drew on on um, those folks to help me um, sort it out. And so the first thing we did was we put a really strong statement out um, uh, on the on the on our website, and and we made it very clear that we were going to um, you know support this in a variety of fashions, um, you know. And then it was just really about continuing to talk to people, continuing to think about my own journey in my head, and ask. What did that mean for what we were going to do as people? And of course, then we headed into the election. And so, um, you know, it was a it was a really interesting time. And, you know, of course, I have to be very careful. It's a pretty, you know, our employee group is pretty, um, you know, pretty liberal in general. So actually, some of our more conservative employees felt like they couldn't really express their views. Um, so we had to deal with that, um, you know, and for me, everything was like, we will always respect everyone's viewpoint. We don't have to agree, but we have to respect it. So the best way I found to really try to try to enable that was we went all in on the election. So we were hardcore about um, uh, and I did a lot of this work myself, you know, what was going on when you needed to register to vote, giving people time off to vote, um, you know, getting groups of people together on whatever side of the aisle to do the kinds of things like letter campaigns or, or um, you know, phone calling or text banking um, for whoever you wanted to support, um, you know, and, and, and I think that, that that gave us something to rally around that wasn't quite so, um, you know, quite so you know, uh, partisan in, in any one of these views, you know, and at the same time, deal with all the craziness that we had because we were all locked in our houses. Um, so it was, it was just, it was, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't even think about it with much clarity or my, my memories aren't that strong. And I, in fact, I'm here now and I spent five months here, you know, right after it started. So whenever I come here, I'm taken back to that. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated though, because here you are a technology company and a lot of of what you are talking about is is really personal, like getting getting down on the personal level and really respecting the individual as opposed to kind of broad brush strokes and automating everything. And, you know, it's um, it, this is a very interesting dynamic. And it was it was it, it, it was really emotionally taxing, but it's super rewarding as well. I mean, I think that, you know, we got to a we got to a really interesting place where I think we. You know, we for sure made a difference in our employees' lives. We did a great job serving customers during that time period because one of the choices we made was we ratcheted down our go-to-market activity because we just wasn't sure. We weren't sure what the economy was going to do, and we wanted to protect our resources. And in 2020, we doubled down on our product and our service initiatives at the expense of our sales initiatives. Um, and uh, I don't regret that decision at all because we spent 21 kind of bringing it all back. Yeah, yeah. We're better when the time was right. Yeah, absolutely. John, any thoughts on on enterprise versus mid-market? Oh, looks like we lost John's we lost John's audio there for a moment. I was trying yeah. to make sure it wasn't me hissing in the background. <laughs> we enjoy your hissing, John. Uh, yeah, well, you you could you could call me snake. No, that'll, that'll be my new thing. Um, I was um I wanted to just explore a little bit this idea that in order to deliver effective technical work, you have to have an emotional foundation. 
for it. I think that's a really interesting notion that I hardly ever hear anybody talk about. You know, it's almost always macho sales draped over the yeah hyper growth, uh, a, <laughs> a, a big heap of Asperger syndrome, and, and the emotional content of of many of the organizations that I see on a regular basis is kind of thin. And you're talking about a different way of thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because what I used to joke about when I was running sales at Ceridian is I cared like 49% about the destination and 51% about the journey. And that's not really great for a sales leader, you right. know? And, um, and, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, we had great success and I'm very proud of what we did and what the company's done since I left. Um, you know, but I am, a, I, I think that so much of what I have been drawn to in my work as a CEO um, is about, you know, kind of the behavior and, um, you know, and, 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 you know, emotional aspects of the work we do. I do a lot of coaching with the board work that I do. And I spend way more time talking about, you know, you realize what you're talking about is you're afraid, you're, you're experiencing fear. And if you get past your fear, we can make this other thing happen. Um, you know, and so I do, a, I, I, I probably should be some kind of leadership coach in my retirement or something. Um, <laughs> Because I love doing it. And it really does make a difference. I mean, I think a CEO as coach is so important. Listen, I spend plenty of time worrying about sales results and doing all of those things. But I but I do believe um, strongly that, you know, the reason we have a great culture, the reason our employee NPS score is plus 85 is because we think about that stuff um, just as much as we think about the outcome. Um, you know, because when I when even when I have to deliver a hard message, you know, the first thing I'm going to ask myself is, what's the best way to communicate this with high expectations that will be well received? And trust me, you know, we've all experienced in our career, yelling at me isn't it, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so I guess that's, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of how, that's kind of how when I decided to become a CEO and then became one, that that was going to be important to the way I was going to lead. So, so, so there's a lot of talking around culture in this conversation. Let, let me ask you a kind of a direct question about culture. And that is, what do you think it is? How do you tell what you've got? And how do you tell when you've moved to the next thing? Sure. Um, I, I personally believe it's um, that first and foremost, a, you're, you, to create a culture, you have to have a clear understanding of values. And the first thing I did when I got to Namely was I looked at our values and I changed them, not materially, but I definitely changed them, you know, and values should never change, by the way. The only time really values should be questioned is if you have a new CEO. Um, and even then, I didn't want to change them radically, but I took some heat for doing it. But but there was a method to my madness because I wanted to ground us on a much smaller number of values that that were centered around some of the things we've already talked about, you know. Focus on understanding the need of the customer, approaching the customer with empathy, um, approaching each other with empathy, but also having a sense of urgency and making sure we're accountable for making sure things happen. From there, what I did was then, then that gave us the platform we needed to ask the following question, which is, what are the kinds of behaviors we expect to see from employees that are going to do two things? One, represent the values and two, create great outcomes. And so... I, I never actually was focused on the culture per se. It was always just focused on how could we better live our values while being accountable for results. And if you do those both of those things well, you know, the cultural stuff is going to, to some degree, take care of itself. Now, there's this overarching stuff we have to be super sensitive to around, you know, the 
the social dynamics of the world, especially in this day and age, you know. So the sensitivities around diversity and inclusion, the sensitivities around um, all the political stuff that was going on, all were, were all also kind of override that. And the how of the way you approach all those things in values, behaviors, and outcomes um, that supports those other broader initiatives, you know, give you another bump forward, I think, in how culture evolves. That's interesting. So, so if I were to summarize that, I would say your view is that you don't actually manage culture. You manage the things that cause culture. I will. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, we never talk about, we never talk about the culture. Mm -hmm. I always talk about the things that we're doing and how people react to it. We measure, you know, various elements of the culture in our engagement surveys. Um, but we never talk about culture per se. Do, do you see other, um, are there other metrics such as, you know, retention, uh, maybe easier to recruit? I mean, uh, your employer brand, are, are you observing its impact there as well? Oh, ab absolutely. I mean, we've made huge progress in improving retention, but that's a multidimensional thing. So perhaps, you know, perhaps culture influences that indirectly, um, you know, certainly, um, Retention, you know, we, we, everybody has a, a nutrition problem right now. Ours has stayed pretty much flat through the great resignation. So I'm going to view that as a positive. It has not gone up. Very few companies can claim that. Um, I think that's an example of something where the culture has paid off. Um, you know, but again, you know, it, they're, they're all very hard things to measure. Some of the things that we watch really closely, um, especially around our um, our commitments to our employee resource groups, our commitments to diversity and inclusion, we've identified several very three very specific questions about our work there, and we actually tied a portion of of annual bonuses for leadership to those measurements in the engagement survey. And if we hit those targets, the bonuses get paid. If we don't, they don't. Um, you know, it's it, you know it's it's a it, it's an it's an important way in which to say to people, listen. This is something that's hard to measure, but we're going to give you an objective way to tell us yes or no, and we're mm -hmm. going to live with the result. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Larry, uh, we are almost at time. Um, you're in a particularly, uh, your vantage point um, gives you a unique perspective. What do you think is, as you look around the corner um, to 2022 ahead, especially now we have a new variant? You know, we really have a lot of companies committed to a hybrid workplace uh, model. What do you think is on the roadmap ahead for for um, the customers you're serving and the category in general? Yeah. Well, here's here's the one thing that's interesting about our market. It always has and it always will be that service is the reason customers leave, products the reason they come. Mm -hmm. And so is, if you assume those two things have not changed, they won't. Um, then you have, you know, you have great insight into what to do. Um, the most important thing we can do for the next year, for sure, given the way in which the work that these small HR teams have to operate to survive, is we just have to make sure we don't get in their way. You know, we have to, we have to be as invisible as possible um, in helping them get that work done. Whether we're doing it for them in some cases or whether they're doing it themselves, it doesn't really matter. We just, you know, we just have to be frictionless. Um, and if we do that, we'll serve our customers extremely well. Um, and, you know, yes, there'll be times and places where the things we do can help them innovate. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think you'll find very many of our customers 
um, spending much time on that these days. Um, that'll shift, I hope, soon, um, you know, hopefully by 2023, and, and we'll be ready for that as well. I love the concept of of a frictionless partner, <laughs> John. Mm-hmm. Before we let uh, before we let Larry get back to his day, any closing comments? Oh, oh, I just I I do want to ask you one last thing about about the trajectory of your career, and that is now you're in the smalls after all those years in the bigs. What's different? What do you miss? Well, John, I don't know if you remember, but uh, in, I believe it was 1999, I came to your house I for a party with Don Raymer um, back in the wild uh, early e-recruiting days. And, you know, one of the things that I do kind of miss about enterprise is, and frankly, pre-pandemic, is how much opportunity you have to kind of network with people like yourself, uh, like the other industry influencers. You know, most of them are close friends now, although I'm noticing now there's a lot of them I don't know anymore because a few of right. us are tired. <laughs> it's the People Magazine syndrome that John and I were talking about. We can't read People Magazine anymore because we have no idea who anyone is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so I think that, that that's the that's probably the Biggest one, I can tell you, though, I don't miss traveling. And that's one of the really great things about serving the market. Uh, You know, so I I just think it's all it's all been great in different ways. It's I I always I always compare it to raising children. If you're doing a great job raising your kids, every phase just gets better. But every phase is different. Um, And I think that describes that's that's describes my experience as well. That's great. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. That is great. We really appreciate you being our guest today. Would you please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about Namely? Yes, thank you. We'd love to hear from you. Um, easy, The quickest, easiest way is send me an email at Larry at Namely.com and I will take it from there. But of course, Namely.com as well will get you uh, get you connected with anybody you need to. Perfect. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time today. This is the latest episode of The Work, and we are signing off. 